Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a five-time, nearly 23-year survivor of advanced-stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And Sharon is still on vacation this week, visiting her daughter, but she'll be back with us next week. So before we introduce our guest today, I wanted to share a, just kind of a moment with you. You know, it's oftentimes in moments of despair that we find that things can seem so bleak and it can feel like our life as we knew it is over. But it's also because of those moments that we can find our calling if we remain open to what God has planned for us. I've met so many women who have battled breast cancer and struggled through only to find a bright light on the other side. We all fall into pits of darkness from time to time and what we do or feel in that darkness is not who we are or who we're meant to be. So I'm just going to suggest that if you're in that place of darkness, come out into the light, and I promise you, you will find beauty here. So with that said, I want to introduce our guest today because she went through a dark time and she came out into the light and created something pretty amazing. So, But we're not going to talk about the amazing part until toward the end, <laughs> but her whole story is amazing. So with that, uh, Elizabeth Clough was diagnosed with cancer at the young age of 37. I can't even imagine. And like many of us, that diagnosis turned her life upside down. She was a young wife, mother of three small children. She's also the creator and founder of Impact One. Now in her second battle, which I really want to hear about, um, she is still fighting and she will not stop. So please welcome Elizabeth. Thank you for joining us today, Elizabeth. Hi, Becky. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. More importantly, how are you? Why don't you take a minute and just kind of introduce yourself to sure. our audience? Just tell us a little bit little bit about the, the fluffy, what I call the fluffy stuff, you know, where yeah. you live, your family, your hobbies. Yeah, you know? all, all the business. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I am originally from um, the Washington, D.C. area, but I currently have been living in Arizona for over 20 years and have raised my children here and kind of just found my little spot in the valley of the sun. And oh. so uh, so I, I can tell you right now, I enjoy this sunshine right now that we're having. <laughs> oh, I'll bet. A lot of people from here move there in the, in the winter because... Yeah. I, you know, it can be sunny here in Portland, Oregon, but I'm looking outside at a gray sky right now. But at least it's not raining at the moment. It's not snowing. We're not freezing. Cars aren't going off the road. So right, I, right. I do appreciate or rather mild weather, That's but right. sunshine right. this time of year is pretty yes. nice as well. So, yes. well, good. Well, and your hobbies, what kind of things do you like to do for fun while you're in that sunshine? Well, you know what? If I'm not running children around to every sport and dance class, <laughs> I really do try to take some time out to um, work out and just kind of do my own thing personally when I do feel well. And it's just kind of been more of my mental therapy to be able to get out and whether it's just taking a yoga class or working out, you know, in my home, um, that's kind of my little go-to 
as far as my hobby, and that kind of leads into how I was diagnosed, too. Well, why don't you tell us about that? Because I know you were diagnosed at a young age, generally before anyone would even consider having a mammogram. So how did how did that happen? Yeah, so um, getting back to the exercising, I had, um, you know, felt like, okay, I was done with my children having babies, and, and I had a two-year-old, and I would put her in the stroller, and I would go, you know, take a run, and every time I put on a sports bra, I always felt like, why is one side feel more pressure than the other? It was just kind of an odd feeling, and it did not link to the simple signs that I always knew about, and, and having friends that were diagnosed prior to me, it wasn't the same kind of signs and symptoms, and so um I kind of put it off for a few months, and I just would continue running, putting on the sports bra, and I just thought this pressure does not feel correct. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I just went on an intuition to go and see my gynecologist. And so it wasn't pain that you were feeling, just a just a pressure. It was just a pressure. It was just okay. something that just didn't feel it more of a heavy feeling. It just didn't feel the norm. Okay, and so. To be honest, I you know, I was um, 37, and I went in and told him, and he did the exam, and he says, I don't feel anything. Let's see if we can get you approved for a mammogram because of my okay. age. Sure. And so um, he, get, he called me and said, come pick up the script. We got you approved. And he kind of just said, you know, go, t- go get a mammogram when you have time. Like, it was no rush. And... Um, I remember just thinking, you know what, I'm going to drop my children off at preschool and I'm just going to make that appointment. And I did. And I worked it around my kids' schedule and just did not put it off. And I'm so grateful that I did not. Um, Three days later, they called and said, um, you have very highly suspicious activity of of cancer and we need to get Mm. you in for biopsy. Mm. So... Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting because I had my first, I guess I would call it a scare at age 37 as okay. well. I I found a lump in my breast that just didn't hurt. There was no pressure, but I just felt this lump. Right. And I went, I went to the doctor and he felt it. And so we ended up doing a mammogram and he told me it was fibrous tissue. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. Well, you know, I made the mistake of never worrying about it. Right, <laughs> until- right. Seven years later, when a nurse practitioner asked me during a, just a routine exam when I'd had my last mammogram, and I said seven years ago, and she wouldn't let me leave until she had an appointment scheduled for me, and it turned yeah. out I had a stage three tumor that had developed wow. inside that fibrous tissue. Fibrous tissue. Yeah. So yep. and probably at the time, I had dense breasts, which also leads to sometimes finding difficulty. And, exactly. You know, and it, did, did they ever tell you that you had dense breast tissue and it was hard um, to see anything or... You know what? It It, it was um, basically on on the mammogram, it just looked looked like little white speckles all over the breast. And so they were kind of saying that that they didn't think that it had was as aggressive as as they originally thought. But once I went in for the mastectomy, um, they started, you know, checking the first lymph node and it came out positive and it just went up to Mm -hmm. 21 lymph nodes. And it was a whole world change when they when they said you know what Elizabeth this this was in 21 of your lymph nodes wow definitely is gonna you know be needing treatment and it was just a whole like you were just outer body experience is what it was so that was my next question how did you handle 21 lymph I mean yeah I had 16 of mine checked but Mm -hmm. 
I had cancer in, I think, the first time around, only in one of them. And they just mm-hmm. called it stage three because of the size of my tumor. Right. But right. but I only had it in one out of 16. You had it in 21 lymph yeah, nodes? I did. Oh, honey. <laughs> and I know. And, and you know, I, I again, being at that age and not knowing a whole lot about it, it was almost, in a way, a blessing because I didn't... I guess as far as getting told the news, I kind of just went through day by day with what I was being told to me because, again, I was a mother. Mm-hmm. And um, How old were your kids then? So my children were two, four, and six. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they were the little ones. And, and so, you know, I had to still show up for them. And um, I think that that is probably what helped me get through, even though it was such a dark time that I had to still face, you know, being a mom, being their mommy and um, letting them know that I was going to be okay. Yeah. Did you have any other kind of support at home at the time? Yeah. So I think this is what really kind of um, helped me along through is I had an incredible um, support system. And, And literally they came in with a calendar and said, these are the days we're picking up your children. These are the days we are going to watch the ones that can't, you know, that aren't in school. And you just need to allow us to do this for you. And it was really difficult because I'm such a person that wants to to do it on my own. I had to really be vulnerable and allow that to happen. And that at, at the same time of being sick was really tough is to just let someone help me. You know, you just said something very powerful, and that was that you were very vulnerable, but you had to allow that to happen. And as women, you know, we think we can do everything all the time. Yeah. It's always up to us. And, you know, we kind of take on that that mantle that, <laughs> that we need to be in control of all things always. Yes. And it is hard to let others in. And, you know, sometimes it's even hard to ask for help, you know, <laughs> so, yes, um, yeah. and when, and when people offer help, you know, one of the things that we've kind of shared with so many ladies and, and so often on the show, you know, a lot of times people say, if there is anything I can do, please let me know. And we say, oh, I will. Thank you. Have yep. this little smile on her face, but then we don't. Yeah. So the fact that your friends, yes. your friends did something pretty spectacular. They sounds like they didn't ask you if they, they could help ask. you. They just yeah. made a list and said, here's what we're doing, and you need to let right. us do this. So. And I think, I think, Becky, when people say, you know, what can I say to my friend who was diagnosed? And you know what? You don't have to say anything. You can tell them, this is what I'm doing for you. Because it takes that pressure off the patient, off the, the person that's going through it. And so I think it's, it's really um, a great thing to be able to just say, these are the things I'm going to do for you. And you don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a simple example of exactly what you're saying. You know, if you have a, a friend who's going through something like this, instead of calling and saying, can I fix dinner for your family? Yes. You're putting a burden on her to make a decision and right. having to admit she's not, you know, up to it. So she's probably going to say, oh, that's really sweet, but we're Absolutely. fine, really. Yes. But instead, yes. if you call and say, hey, I made a giant pot of stew, spaghetti, whatever, yes. and I'd like to bring it by to six o'clock work. Now yes. it's a six o'clock Absolutely. decision. You know? Absolutely. And it just makes it so much easier. So it really does. So how did you tell your kids? I mean, they're little. And when, yeah. when did you finally kind of yeah. break it to them? You know, um, I just remember, um, even though they were two, four, and six, they were they were obviously seeing the signs of me wrapped up in an ace bandage, 
kind of bent over, not being able to, you know, move around and do the things that I normally do. And so they knew. And then when the hair loss came in, my six-year-old definitely um, definitely was affected by it. But I think when I talked to them about it, I let them know that this was, my life is put on hold for a while, not forever, but for a while. And I wanted them to know that, um, this is just a little journey that mom has to go through. And as a family, we're all going to help each other out. And if it's the six-year-old helping out the two-year-old, then he understood that that was a lot of responsibility on him. Mm-hmm. I also had a two-year-old that had um, a lot of uh, difficulties with um, her growth. And so she had a lot of surgeries ahead. And I will insert that when... I knew she had things ahead of her, and then I was diagnosed. I remember saying to the doctor, who do I help first? Do I work on her, or do I work on me? And he he said to me, you work on yourself so that you can be better for those babies. And I just remember thinking, okay, then that's what I do. And I think every day, as as hard as it was, and the anxiety that came along with chemo and things like that... um, I just knew to get up every day and show up for those children so that they had as much of a normal life as they could and and really be able for them to, to adapt to really anything, any kind of change. And I think it was a real good experience for them, even at a young age. You know, and that's really admirable and and because I know when you have that serious of a cancer diagnosis, the treatment is not easy. No. And so on those days when you were recovering from from chemo how did that how did that imp, how did that impact your ability to even get out of bed and care for them yeah well I I won't lie I mean you know the first couple treatments I thought okay I've got this you know and I have a friend that would take me to every treatment and mm-hmm. and take me home but wow when it started getting on that third and fourth treatment I think what what is not talked about is the side effects of the emotional part. It, there's the physical that you can see, but I think, in my opinion, the treatment can break down the psychological part. And I think I was inside just in such a dark place that I didn't know what to do. And as a social worker by trade, I think it really bothered me because I kept thinking, how do other women do this? And so... Um, Getting back to your to your question, I just think that I just every day just got up and pushed and pushed until I finally had to go to a doctor and say, I need help. I'm not yeah. I'm not a hundred percent. Well, well, you know, and so and that happens sometimes. It's just, you know, we can't always be a hundred percent, even when we're not on chemo, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> can't always be exactly. that. So, yes. So we're get, we're gonna go out to break in a couple of minutes, but why don't we um I wanna go back a little bit and tell me what your life was like before your cancer diagnosis, because my next question is gonna be how did it change after that? So what was oh. your life before cancer? You know, I I just um I was someone that's always wanted to help people, and I think what I was doing pre-breast cancer diagnosis was serving in my community. I um, was a social worker and worked with at-risk children, and I was able to work in the school system and help prevention of dropout for, for students. And so I really dove into that for such a long time, and I, I kind of just de- 
devoted my my time to to kids and helping them and getting them back on track with with issues of maybe not having the parent in the home. And so that was my pre-life is really working with the community and being really involved in and helping. And I think that's kind of um, what has led me to be doing what I'm doing now. But I, um, you know, took me forever to have babies. And so I, I was so grateful to be able to have children and then be able to also work Um, in the school system around my schedule. So I just had a really, really blessed life. And and I still do. But prior to breast cancer, to be able to still serve children and and parents and and raise my children. And so I think that prepared me in a way for the diagnosis because of the service and the ministry that I felt like I was giving. Well, that's that's a that's a big that's a big deal, and thank you for thank you for serving in that capacity because yes. there are so many kids hurting out there, and yes, and they need people like you. So, on that note, we're <laughs> going to go out to break. So, stay tuned. Right. We'll be back in a minute. Great. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. 
To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about life as a young breast cancer survivor and mom with our guest, Elizabeth Clough. She is also the founder of Impact One, and we're going to get to to that in the last segment here. But I wanted to um, kind of go back and ask Elizabeth a question. We had just finished talking about what her life was like before her cancer diagnosis, and uh, she worked with children, which is a very admirable um, career, and I I so applaud you for doing that because, well, first off, working with kids is very difficult, and working with difficult kids is right. even more difficult, yeah. um, but you found a way to make that work. So then you went through your cancer journey, um, and just to, for out of curiosity, how long were you actually on treatment for this very advanced case of cancer? So... Um, the, you mean the first diagnosis? Yes, the first yes. diagnosis. So the first diagnosis, I did the um, six rounds of chemo and the 32 um, rounds of radiation. Okay. And and followed with, um, I would say, almost two years of reconstruction because so many setbacks happened. And it's something that I think isn't talked about a lot that can happen when... Um, you're diagnosed and have re- reconstruction that things don't always go as planned. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was really a, a long journey on top of the treatment. And so then, um, so the whole thing took, well, it sounds like a couple of years then yes. anyway. Yeah. Okay. So then, years. so when did you find, were you able to go back to work in between or did you wait till you were done and then go back and, and what are you doing you know, what, what, how did your life change after that? Yeah. So when I was diagnosed, um, I was able to go in and work one day a week. It was, you know, I just wanted to still be able to, um, have that connection, have some normalcy and be able to, um, just not so dwell on, on myself so much. And I think that's a really healthy thing to do when you are diagnosed is to channel some of your thoughts to someone else. And, um, so I was really, really lucky to be able to still um, serve the community and be, be in a situation where I was helping out um, children in the school district. So I did that one day a week. And um, then after um, the, the amounts of reconstruction and all the failed attempts, um, I had to take some time off because there was just too much that was involved because of the severe radiation burn that happened to me that Mm -hmm. um, I just wasn't, I wasn't well enough to keep going in. So I had to just accept that and and just realize that this was my time to rest. Yeah. And and we need to, we need to take time like that sometimes Mm -hmm. because those radiation burns, I mean, not everyone, just for our audience who's listening, not everyone has severe radiation burns. Um, Some do, some don't, some will have, you know, moderate and, you know, you do need to talk to your doctor before you start radiation about 
things that you might be able to do to lessen it or to exactly. Pre- I don't think you can prevent it necessarily, but you right. can certainly lessen it and find ways to comfort it. So I do want to I want to share that because yes, is, yes, we don't want to scare everybody no, out there. But no, um, no. mine was but, very rare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and with it, you know, to be diagnosed as advanced as you were, um, did you have a family history of breast cancer? Because to have have that advanced at age thirty seven. No, um, just no, says something um, to me. Yeah, no, um, no history. I was tested for the BRCA gene, and 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 all of that came out negative. This was just something that I just don't know. I don't think we'll ever understand, yeah. <laughs> or you know, no. But there was no, there was no history, and that really, I think I had to just really let that go because I think I dwelled on why for so long yeah and you know? and it's true and most cancer most breast cancers are not hereditary um and again just for our listeners i was tested for the BRCA gene BRCA one and two about i don't know 10 years ago or something and that's all they knew about yeah. and i tested negative but because i had a huge family history especially on mm-hmm. my dad's side we suspected something might have been there so there's now a new yes. pan there's a new panel of mm-hmm. gene mutations that they've discovered and it's been a long time coming but I did go back in earlier this year and tested for the new did panel okay. and we found two so my cousins have been tested wow. and we a lot of us seem to have picked that up from my dad's mm. side of the family wow. so there there is more out there but the the two the two that cause the most likelihood of, of getting breast cancer are still seems to be the BRCA1 and 2 genes so right. I'm just saying that so if anyone's been tested once a long time ago, and you still suspect there might be, it's probably worth going back in yes, again. Yes, it is. Yes. And it's still just a blood test. It's pretty it simple. Yeah. But, yep. um, okay. Well, let me ask you this. I know that you were recently diagnosed, and now it's been 10 years since your last one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you just got diagnosed again. Tell yeah. us about that. Um, you know, I, um, it was, I think, last February, so it's been almost a year. Um, again, I had mentioned that I have a, a little girl that needs extra help. And I remember lifting her up out of the bathtub and, and thinking, man, my, I, my back, that really hurt. And it really, like, it, it's, it's just interesting because I've been going through 10 years of, of, you know, clean PET scans and great blood work and, and tumor markers and everything was clear. But, but again, this was this intuition that I think I never dismiss and as soon as I had that feeling in my back of pain I thought something's not right and and the, mm-hmm. and the thought of came through my head you need to go back to your oncologist and then I kind of put it away after the back feeling kind of got better a few weeks later and then again exercising I kind of feel like that's my way of of being told things aren't right I was just becoming getting the pain was just intensifying in my back and I just thought what did I pull what am I doing I guess I better stop working out you know doing this type of class and and I just decided you know what and this was three months later I need to go in and I I finally made the appointment and we did the blood draw and she said your tumor markers are up Mm -hmm. and so we thought well this could be kind of a fluke thing Let's go ahead and, and, you know, start the testing of um, doing a PET scan and things like that. Luckily, my oncologist is very aggressive. It doesn't dismiss anything. And I told her that my back was hurting. And so 
that really clued her into doing the PET scan. And that's when they found um, the spots on my spine. And they also said, how have you been living? You've got four fractures in your back. <laughs> um, and, I, and it went back to me realizing when I picked up Maya that I think that was the onset of um, those fractures being completely, you know, just so inflamed and in so much pain. But I will say again, I didn't ignore a sign, something that wasn't right, and I was aggressive enough to go in. And she said, you know, you could have gone a whole nother six or seven months and not come in and thinking that it was just a pulled muscle. And so Mm -hmm. I just feel like if there's anything good about me, (laughs) it is I just decide not to put things off when it comes to my health. You know, there's... I'm grateful for that, too, for you. And, you know, so many times I think that, let me tell you an experience I had one time when I, after my, after my, I don't know, first or second time, I don't remember, I was having some difficulty um, laying down at night and swallowing. I was like, I kept Mm. waking up choking and thinking something was going on. And I finally went to an ear, nose and throat doctor. And when he found out that I'd had cancer, (laughs) he said to me, oh, you cancer people. Oh. And, you know, because the first thing we think are our brains, I think sometimes mm-hmm. once we have cancer or have had it and fought it, every little ache and pain, I don't know about you, but, you know, you yep. get one in your hip and you're just assuming you, yes, your cancer is now gone to your bones or whatever. And when I went to him, because I, I was really concerned, I couldn't, I, I couldn't swallow right and it felt like something was, was off. And I went and when he said that, oh, you cancer people, I said, excuse me? Oh. And he said, yeah, you cancer people, once you get cancer, you always assume it's cancer. And I said, you know what, I think we're done here, and I left. Wow, wow. And, um, and it turned out I had reflux disease. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I put me on some little purple pill, and that kind oh. of seemed to take care of it. But, but there was an issue. And mm-hmm. so to your point, you know your body better than anybody. And when you feel something's not right... Don't be afraid of what your doctor's going to think that you're a hypochondriac or whatever. You know what's best, and it's better, far better to the err on the side that it's nothing than to wait and wait and wait. And then when you finally find out, it's too late to do anything about it. Absolutely. So, so good for you for yes. going in and just taking the, the assertive stance on this because we do know our bodies best, and we're the ones that have to bring it to their attention. That's right. You know, they don't always ask, and they're not calling you every week to see how you're. No how your aches and pains are this week, you know, so we have to take it apart. I know we overuse the word advocate, but it is real. You have to be your own advocate or um, no one else is going to be able to, to diagnose the feelings that you feel about your body. So, yeah. So how did you get through the second one? Because now you're saying it's in your spine. Um, And that's that's a whole new world now. Yes. You know, it was it's very painful and and I have been able to get a few of the fractures filled with um, I guess it's kind of like a cement that uh, the radiologist can do and that did relieve a lot of my pain. Um, it, it really I think because the diagnosis was so shocking again and having the pain in the back, it was double um, hard because the pain constantly reassured what was going on is this is what's happened. You've been re-diagnosed. And so it was a, a, a every second reminder. And um, once I, I went to a dark place for a while, uh, Becky. I, I, I did. I'll be honest with you. It was 
it was really tough because I was just, as a mom, you go to this, okay, how do I, how do I act normal in front of my kids? They're older now. They, they know too much, you know, it it just all these ideas of how I'm going to be able to just be normal and, and, and seem happy when I was not happy. And so for, for a while, I just kind of went into that doom and gloom and, then I realized, I thought, you know what? I, I've got to get up. I've got to keep serving. I've got to keep showing up for my family and my friends. And as soon as I changed that thought in my mind, I will tell you, not only was I mentally feeling better, but I physically started feeling better. It really correlated. It, it's, it's almost like a miracle that it happened. That's beautiful. I love that. Mm-hmm. And, wow. So, I, I think I know the answer to what you're going to say, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. If you have a chance to talk to other young moms, which are, you know, some are listening right now, um, about going through this journey, what piece of advice, what, what could you share with a young mom going through cancer, whether it's first time, second time, whatever, what, what's the best advice you can give them to help them keep going? Well, I think if if I was to sit and say, you know, oh, don't give up, everything's going to be okay. I mean, I think that is is a great advice. But I want them to know that it's okay to um, mourn this new journey, this new life, because it's something that you didn't expect. And I think once you go through those feelings and get through that and work through that, I I think that it gives you permission to say, okay. I've, I've accepted this and I'm going to now step out and, and just, I believe 100% in trying to be positive as hard as it is. And as many things that the doctors might say are going to happen, you have to have a better attitude. And I will, I will tell you how I've kind of turned that doom and gloom for myself, which I can admit that I have, is I started writing a, um, in a gratitude journal. Because I, I was focusing on everything that was going wrong, everything that has happened to me. How did this happen? I started helping people, and then now I'm sick again, you know? And so I started just writing things that were happening that were great. And I believe positivity and having hope heals. And that is why I feel like I feel the way I do now. It, I have a clarity. I physically feel better, even though I do treatment. And I, I'm, I'm writing down notes that you're saying, so that's why you're hearing silence <laughs> okay. here at the moment. You know, I, I think that there's there's so much to that because there, there are so many things that can really drag us down. And one of the things I like to share with people is, you know, it, it is easy to say you just have to have a positive attitude. Well, that, yeah. that's fine. But when you're yeah. feeling gloomy and like the whole yes. world is on your shoulder mm-hmm. and you're just sinking because of it, how do you suddenly turn that around and have a positive attitude and the the one thing that that kind of consistently comes to mind is to do something positive yes and for me when I was in those gloomiest moments sometimes that just meant getting up and taking a shower it did you know that's right because you know? that's, that's a positive right. thing right and once Absolutely. you do a positive action that often leads to a second positive action yes. and and before you know it you're feeling a little bit better than maybe you did 15 minutes ago i, I can those- i can attest that oh i'm sorry i can attest to that becky i i don't think i would have believed it my first round of treatment but this round has been life changing 
by, by getting up and just doing something for myself or something for someone else. That's good. It's very good. Well, we only have a couple minutes left until the next break. So okay. I want to ask you, how has your life changed now since this second battle? And you're you're still in the second battle, right? I am. Mm-hmm. I'm just, okay. I, I am. How has it changed? You know, I think um, I remember telling myself at my first diagnosis that I will never take for granted all the things that I was able to do pre-cancer. And I will tell you that I did take for granted uh, after I got healthy and after I got into my comfortable zone of back to my, quote, normal, new normal. And when this re-diagnosis happened, it really made me realize that I was forgetting all the things that I needed to be grateful for. And so with this new diagnosis, and I know I, I listen to a lot of people who say that it's, it is, you know, diagnosis is life-changing. The second diagnosis has been really, really life-changing for me because I realized that a lot of times when we're going through something really hard, someone else, and I'm going to say it because I know someone said it before, someone else is going some, through something harder. And because I'm now in, the, in a situation where I'm serving other women, they're going through harder things than I. Mm-hmm. And so for me to be able to realize, okay, for today, I am up, I am getting my kids out to school, and I was able to put makeup on. <laughs> I love it's that. It's a good day. It's a good day. <laughs> and you, you know, have eyelashes to put eyelash, you know, mascara and I, on. And I can put <laughs> mascara on, and I can feel... As good as I can feel, and and it really, yeah. This second go around, I just look at everything differently, and I did not do that the first time. Although I said I was, I didn't because maybe it was just younger, maybe it was just having children and being so distracted. But I I just look at people and everyone, and I mean to tell you, if someone's mad at me for cutting them off, I'm just like. I'm so sorry. <laughs> there needs to be a universal I'm sorry sign when you're driving, you know. <laughs> give you a hug. <laughs> you know, well, on that note, we are going to go out to a break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. 
Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our show. We've been talking with our guest, Elizabeth Clough. She's the founder of Impact One Foundation, and in the first two segments, we heard all about her cancer journey and her story, and she has some wonderful advice for people. So if you know anyone who really needs to hear this, you can always listen on demand in our archives. The show is uploaded about an hour after we go off the air, but please listen to it, share it with your friends, because there's some really good information in here. So Elizabeth, let's switch gears a little bit now and talk about what you're doing now. I know you started a nonprofit. I've mentioned it twice in your intros. Yeah. Um, so tell us about it. What's it called? What's it about? What do you do? Yeah. Well, um, you know, after I'd say, um, gosh, eight, uh, I don't know, six years after um, my, my recovery of the first diagnosis, um, I think I had mentioned earlier that I just always, and it's that, that social worker in me, I just had always kept thinking, if I am going through this journey and have help, how do women, single moms, women who have lost their husbands, women who maybe are in a situation financially that can't even get treatment, how do they do this without any kind of support? And it really, it, I'll use the word haunted me because I just thought to myself, if it's as challenging for me and I've got help, I can't even comprehend what it's like for women who don't have help. Mm -hmm. So I started to figure out, could I help just one person? Let's see, what was the most challenging thing for me? Well, I had reconstruction and I had hair loss. And both of those things for me were hard to get as far as recovery items and wigs. It wasn't, the hospital wasn't down the street. I had to make the appointment. I had to travel. Um, I had reconstruction over and over and over, and, and there were special items that I knew could have helped me maybe heal better, but they were so costly that I just said, ah, forget it. I'm not going <laughs> to buy them because I need to pay co-payments, you know? Right. And so I thought, you know, I bet there's some women in my church that I could help. Let me see if I could write a letter to an uh, orthotic company, and, and it led me, it was a coincidence because my daughter was getting fitted for a brace, and... I talked to a, a mastectomy fitter there, and I just said, do you ever have any returned items or items that are being you know, phased out in your retail boutique that I could take and somehow help other women? And that exploded. I, my letters started going out to these different orthotic companies, and I started getting items, and I was putting them in, in our guest house. And I just thought... <laughs> 
this is turning into a shop. <laughs> yeah, that's fabulous. That so, really, we do so, understand that at Breast Friends, we have a little, uh, I wouldn't call it a little, we have a back room and we call it the Hope Closet. Mm-hmm. And we kind of tackled that same thing probably yeah. for the same reason. And yeah. and it's and it's amazing how how people really, how women really feel when they finally okay. get fitted and they, f- they feel whole again. Yes. And yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what the word is, the whole again. That's and it. now do they have to come into your shop to, well, your, yeah, your shop well, <laughs> um, to, to get fitted or is this something you, know, you can do online? Yeah. How does that work? So, so I knew I, in order for me to understand what women needed as far as the prosthetics, if they're in between reconstruction or mm-hmm. if they've, you know, aren't going to have reconstruction, I thought I need to know what I'm talking about. And so mm-hmm. I um, had to put in the 500 hours of, of following and going in and kind of mentoring a certified mastectomy fitter. And once um, I got those hours in, I took some classes um, and took the test and got, and got, you know, certification. And that's when I knew, okay, I'm going to launch the nonprofit because then I felt like I had the knowledge and I also had the nonprofit background and I had the product and it was all ready to go. The time and season was it. But I also wanted to make sure that these products were not difficult to get to women because, again, there's small towns out there that have nothing and mm-hmm. they might not be able to get to these bo- amazing boutiques that are available. So we ship their items to their home absolutely free. That is, that's amazing. And I have a question around that because see, we're not, nobody at Breast Friends is a certified mastectomy fitter and Mm -hmm. you are. So how do you, so women have to come in and we have to kind of check it out and make sure that it's the right size. You know, we've tried shipping things a couple times, but there's still no guarantee you're going to get it right. How do you get it right when you can't see the woman? So so sometimes what we, we, we have to do is if the woman has let's say she's underinsured or hasn't made her copay. A lot of times they'll go get fitted, mm-hmm. and then they will leave because they can't pay for their prosthetic. And we we tap into some of the organizations throughout the country. I mean, a lot of times the oncology centers and the orthotic companies who we've tapped into that and say, if women mm-hmm. can't afford the prosthetics, you know the size, you know the the type we will do our best to match that exact same thing based on the product that's been donated to us. Good for a you. lot of women will call us and say, I know exactly what I need. Um, and we're able to best match that as much as we can. There are some women who are just in a position that in all honesty, that have no insurance. They have never been to a mastectomy fitter. We will help try to work with the, uh, maybe a nurse or someone that can take the measurements and we'll mm-hmm. do our best to help them. A lot of times they're just so grateful to have an insert or something, a bra, yeah. something mm-hmm. that makes them feel they could put on, you know, their regular clothing again. Oh, I so get that. Before I even knew that a prosthetic existed, I wore, I put socks just one side because I first time around I had a lumpectomy. Yes. So one side was very, very small and yep. and the other side was 
big, I, I call the big side my, my fog light and the other one yeah. was my headlight. <laughs> but I would stuff a roll, rolled up pair yeah. of socks inside yeah. the small one just to try to fill out the bra a little yes. bit. But it throws your balance off because now yeah. one side's heavy and one side's okay. not. And I had no idea a prosthetic even existed. So yeah. it, it's it's a big deal. And when women finally learn about them, it really does make them feel good. So what, what have been some of the biggest challenges in your business that you've had to overcome? Uh, I think, you know, I think really, uh, I, I guess really getting a good volunteer um, team together so that it's not all on me as I'm trying to go out and, and fundraise and grant write and and all the, the operations of, of, the, of the nonprofit that were really growing. Um, but once we were able to overcome some real good dedicated volunteers that believed in the mission, Mm-hmm. I think that's really what has made Impact One so successful. It, it's not just because I had this idea. It's because the people that have come in to help and serve these women nationwide and in Mexico, wow. um, they believe in the mission. Either Even if they're not a survivor, they have been affected by it. They've been affected through family and friends. And so once you get, I think, a... Uh, a team of people who who love what you're doing and and believe in it, um, the obstacles kind of go away. And I think that was my biggest thing is getting getting the help that I needed. Well, I think I think that's a really key part. You know, Sharon and I, when we started Breast Friends, we were it. And it wasn't until we were able to start pulling a team of volunteers together that things began to change and right. totally get the importance of them. And we still yeah. have volunteers to this day, and right. they, they really make an organization work. Yeah. So when women uh, – my I had a question, how do women receive your products? I think we've kind of covered that. Yeah. Um, but how do they respond? What, what kind of comments or testimonials have you received from women when they receive – you call it hope in a box, right? Hope in a box. That's yes. so cool. I love that uh, name. So, um, how do they respond? Yeah. I, you know, I can, there has, uh, I'm overwhelmed that there's so many women that take the time to thank me because I know they're not well and we don't expect them to, to thank us and, and, and let us know they got the box. You know, we just want them to, to be, feel better. And so the messages that I have received have have literally been life-changing again because I realize the need out there that we do, you know, we go through our daily lives of doing our thing and then there's women out there that have no one or don't have anyone to say, I get it. And mm-hmm. because I think we do get it and we let them know that through our hope in the box because we give them lots of other beautiful items that we feel would be helpful for them. So they don't have to run to Target and Walmart and get things that they need. <laughs> We fill their box with, with lots of other items. They say to me, this has changed me. This has given me hope. This has given me a feeling that I feel like a woman again. I mean, it could be just, they could already have the prosthetics, but they, their insurance maybe didn't cover the bras. And right. we could send them their bras and they feel like, I feel feminine again. I, I, I just didn't realize this. And and again, I, I will say, I believe hope heals, and that's why these boxes, I think, are really helping women because for the moment, at least, it makes them feel like, okay, someone cares, someone understands, and I I think I can do this, you know, 
That's so, wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, we're we're so close to being out of time. I want to ask you a question. You use the phrase "I'm one." What does that mean to you? Well, we have to go kind of quick. Here. Okay, real quick. Impact one. When we when I first started this, I wanted to just help one person. Can I impact one lady in my area? And I started realizing that I'm one is in that word. And so as we started figuring out how to brand, I thought, you know what? Everyone we talk to knows someone that knows someone that's been affected. It could be your coworker, it could be your sister, it could be your cousin, your sister-in-law. And they all say, I saw what she went through. I, I could see how this was difficult. I wanted to help her. And I say, we're all part of this. We're all one. You know, we're all someone that can help, that can reach out and, um, and can be more aware of our own breast health. So that's where I'm one came in. Well, I love that. And when you think in terms of, of the name of your of your organization, Impact One, it is impacting one person at a time. And that's yeah. that's fabulous. Well, kiddo, we're out of time. All right. So <laughs> let's tell our audience real quick, um, how can they contact you? How can they find out more about Impact One? Yes. So we can be contacted at impactone.pink. Um, that's our website. We have our online application and all of the services that we provide. We're on Facebook at Impact One Pink. We're on Instagram at Impact One. Um, and we're, we've got a great group of volunteers that will get back to anyone that has questions about our services and how we can provide help nationwide. Excellent. Well, I'm so thankful that you took time to be on yes, our show today. Becky, thank I know you. We, I know we had a little bit of yes. uh, a challenge getting it scheduled because That's in December right. we had to do a, a series of replays because of my situation that sure. I'm going through at the moment. But, but thank you so much for being patient with us and getting on the program. I'm so glad you did. I think this is going to be a very well-received program, and I can't wait to watch the ladies download it. So, thank you, um, thank you, Becky. But on that, we do kind of have to go. So I just want to mention real quick that we do have um, all of our shows are pushed out to um, various and assorted places. We ha- we're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. So if you have a pod or a podcast listening app on your phone, just search for Breast Friends Podcast and we'll come up and you can listen to any or all of our episodes there. Also, if you like our show, please go online to breastfriends.org and make a donation. There's a big blue button at the top of the page. Hit that button and just make a donation to help keep this program going. And and we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.